At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Welcome to our series, Unstoppable, Bound in His Love, Freed by His Spirit, where we're journeying through what many call the greatest chapter in the Bible, Romans 8, to uncover a more lasting force than hard work and a more enduring purpose than momentary success. It's interesting, some mornings, like I tell you, when I get up to preach, I am... Um have in my mind kind of how we're going to be starting, and then the Lord seems to be doing something a little bit different. I feel like that's, that's this morning, right? Just from that time of worship, the time of communion with you, uh, it just kind of starts to stir your heart in a different direction. I think that's okay, isn't it? When you've been preparing for weeks for one direction, and then the Lord just kind of seems to go a different uh, direction. First of all, if, you, um, if you've never been through our Next Step Pathways I just, a, a real quick touch point, following this service at the 11 o'clock service, uh, we have our Next Step Pathway. That's where you learn what it means to belong to Christ, belong to a church, belong to a family, belong to a team. It's where you get to hear what we believe as a church, how we function. It's where we get to hear about you and try to help you figure out what's your best fit and what does that look like within the church family. So we'd love for you to be part of that, even if you haven't signed up yet. Uh, following the service, what you'll do, just follow this. You'll go right down the stairs and then just follow the signs. It'll be over in our uh, venue area, but there'll be signs pointing you that direction. We'd love for you to join us for that. Now, you know what I've never seen? In all my years, I've never seen the person who's graduating high school, guy or girl, who's come up to me and said, you know what, Pastor Billy? I did it. I did it. I went through all of those years, elementary, middle school, high school, and not one time did anyone ever use their words to hurt my feelings. Like, not one time. Never. Ha- I've never met that person. I've never. Now, back in the day, if you're younger, you need to help me out. Because back in the day, we had the saying, sticks and stones may break my bones. Like, we, do we not do, I don't know if we do that. Is that, not, I don't think that's a thing anymore. Is that still a thing? I don't know. I see. I don't think it is. I don't think it is. Okay, so if you're younger and you don't know what I'm talking about, there used to be this saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. I didn't know if it's harm me or hurt me, but words can't bother me, right? It just rolls on a duck water. It rolls right off my back. That's not true though, is it? Words do hurt us. They absolutely hurt us. Amy and I realized this early on. We knew that words had the power to inform the foundation of how you view yourself. So with our boys, we were very intentional with our words. You guys already know this. If you look at a child and you tell a child, you're so ugly, you're so dumb, you're never going to measure up, you're never going to be anything, that's going to inform who they become, isn't it? Some of you, in fact, and and this isn't a joke, like some of you growing up, that's the kind of stuff you heard on a regular basis. And maybe you're still trying to work through the pain of that. Something that happened years and years and years ago, and you're still trying to work through it. Or the opposite is true, right? We, We looked at our boys, we're very quick to say, no, you are smart. You are an overcomer. In Christ, this is who you are because it's who you were created to be. It starts to inform that foundation, doesn't it? So we were very intentional at speaking words of love and life. It's how I preach. It's how I husband. It's how I dad. It's just we're, we're very intentional with that. Now, you guys know most of you have been around here. For, if you're new with us, I got a poodle at home big poodle, like a man-sized poodle. Well, he's a daddy poodle now. So he didn't have the litter, 
but this is one from the litter. So my oldest son got to pick which puppy he wanted. That's the one he picked. Her name's Sable. It took about 200 photos for me to get this picture on Friday. Because I took her outside to do what dogs do outside, you know. And I, I sat her down. I'm like, okay, you stay there. And I turn around take two steps. And of course, she's spinning circles and eating leaves and running at me. I had so many photos of an eyeball or a tail or forehead. That's the best I could do. That was, that was it. That was the picture. So imagine Ian, my oldest, looking at his puppy, going, all right, Sable, you're a good girl. I'm just going to speak words of love and life to you. You don't want to eat Crocs. No, you don't. You don't want to eat those. They're gross, you know. And you don't want to eat the table because that'll make my dad real mad. Don't eat the table or the chair or mom's boots. Don't eat those. And you only want to poo-poo pee-pee outside. Like, that's because you're a good girl. That's what you want to do. And you know which food is yours and which food is Sammy's food. You don't want to eat Sammy's food. No, you... Okay, if he tried to do that, what's that dog going to do? She's going to turn her head sideways and she's going to go pee on something. That's what she's going to do, right? She's a puppy. She is a dog and, and dogs are different. But yet with that said, there still is some behavior expectations that we have, right? So when my oldest was a child and he munched on another child's face, we had a heart to heart about that. Because he had to understand, even as a kid, you can't munch on people's faces. Like, that's a bad thing. You can't do that. So there's still our behavior expectations. If my youngest, Gabe, decided he was going to eat the Crocs, you know, I would have a talk with him. Son, you cannot eat my Crocs. That's not acceptable behavior. And yet, what we're talking about isn't just the behavior part. It's the character part. It's who you are. It's your identity, and all that behavior should be formed out of your identity. That's where your behavior should come from. That's what I love about the text of where we've been for this last season in the book of Romans. Take your Bibles. Let's open up to Romans chapter 8 this morning. Romans chapter 8. Paul is taking this section to remind the believers in Rome, this is who you are. Not just who you are, but whose you are. This is so powerful. He wants the people in Rome, the church in Rome, to understand who they are and whose they are in Christ. Not based on behavior, not based on their actions, because sometimes we mess up, don't we? That's what I love about Paul. Paul is this person who understands sometimes we mess up and yet he's like, we got to address the behavior stuff, but let's address the identity portion First, which brings us to our big idea that believers are no longer slaves but heirs with Christ. Believers are no longer slaves but heirs with Christ because oftentimes what happens for Christians is we say, okay, I love Jesus, but now I have this sin issue in my life, so I'm just going to try harder. I'm just going to do better. I'm going to stop eating the Crocs. That's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to try to address the behavior instead of the heart issue instead of the identity issue. And so today we're going to start in verse number nine, and we're going to look at how you possess spiritual and resurrection life. Paul says this, Romans chapter eight, verse nine. He says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, but if Christ is in you, Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. 
If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. And so Paul makes this powerful shift here. He says, you, however, you guys know what however means. However means we were talking about this. However, we're moving. We're not talking about that anymore. We're going to go over here. It's a, it's a word that shifts. It's a word that transitions. And it says in verse 8, we were talking about what it means to be in the flesh. We're not talking about what it means to be in the flesh anymore. We're talking about that positional change of now being in the spirit. We talked about that all last week. If you missed last week, make sure you go online and, and watch it. But we talked about that position of where you are and your position has now moved. And I think this is one of the struggles that Christians have. I do because our position has changed. But I think what we do is we act like in the flesh means I can be in the spirit. I can be a Christian. I can be a follower of Jesus. And yet, you know, sometimes in the flesh, it just happens. Sometimes I eat Crocs when I'm, when I'm in the flesh. I just can't help myself. And I just start munching on my dad's Crocs. I just start chewing on them because that's when I'm in my flesh. When I'm in my flesh, I do that. And like we can just jump back into that place. And that's what Paul's teaching. He says, no, this is chapter 8 and chapter 5, that you and I are freed from the law of sin and death. We are freed from that church. That's not where we are. That's not our residence. Sin and death is no longer our residence. He says that we are dead, chapter 6, to sin's power. We're dead to it. That we are no longer in the flesh. If the spirit of God dwells in you, we have the, we have the spirit of Christ in us. Here's what I think. I think that our, our struggles between the ears oftentimes. Because we'll say, I know what the Bible says. I know that that's true. I don't always feel that way. Right? I've spent so much of my life trapped in sin, a hostage to sin. So much of my life was spent there that today, I don't always feel it. You know, sometimes I feel like I'm in the flesh. Anyone, maybe I'm just talking to myself right now. But I think sometimes we do. I think sometimes we're like, no, I still feel kind of like I'm, I'm in the flesh. All illustrations break down after a little bit, but a quick illustration that I think helps Back in high school, my third job was Taco Tico, which I've told y'all about before. So went down to Taco Tico. This was a big deal for me because Claremore was like 20 minutes away. Uh, I Nola didn't have, we had no like fast food restaurants. My graduating class was 50. And so we had to go to the next big town over, which was Claremore. They had them at Taco Tico. I looked it up online uh, just this weekend and I found that Taco Tico today has a Yelp rating of 3.5 out of five stars. Which means mediocre fast food. That's what it means. It means like there's worse places. Mm, it's not all that great. There's a lot better places. It's just exceedingly mediocre. That's Taco Tico. That's where I worked. And so I, I got there and they gave me this hot pink shirt. Because early 90s, y'all. Early 90s. Hot pink shirt and a teal shirt. I got one of each color, right? And it said Taco Tico. I got my hat. I never really wore the hat because I didn't like hats. I got the name badge. I got it all. I looked the part. I was hired. I had my own clock in, clock out card. Like I, I had all that. But I didn't, I didn't feel like the Taco Tico man yet. Because you see, I didn't know the owner's name was Doug. I didn't know that. I, I didn't know how to clean that. There's a way that you clean the bathroom. Like there's a proper way to clean it. I didn't know how to do that. I didn't know the proper way to disinfect the floors. I didn't, I didn't know how to do that. I didn't know how to, when they said, do you know how to break down the steam table? 
I, I didn't know what they were talking about. What do you mean break down the steam table? So although I looked the part, although I was in, although I was part of the team, I certainly didn't feel part of the team. And I think sometimes that's how we are with Christ. We are fully in Christ. We are fully adopted into the family. And I think yet sometimes, because it's between the years, we go, mm, yeah, sometimes I feel like I'm still in the flesh. Sometimes I don't feel like I'm in the family. Sometimes I don't feel like I have the spirit of Christ dwelling in me. That's why this is so important. We need our Sundays where we come together and open the word of God and continue to press in and lean not on our own understanding. Amen? Like we have to continue this. We can't give up on this. And if you're sick, I love the technology that allows us to be able to meet online still. It's incredible. But it's why we don't just meet on Sundays. It's why we have the women's teas. Right? We do need to sit down and celebrate and have teas. It's why men are having Bible studies. That's why we have our life groups. If you are not in a life group, let me just tell you, this is not like I'm making a list and I'm finding out who is and who isn't. It's not about that. But I'm telling you, if you're not in a life group, you're missing a vital, vital, vital part of being in the church family. You need that place where you know that there's going to be people praying for you when things are going on. You need that place where you celebrate together. You need that place where you can press in and continue to remind each other that we are in Christ. Our identity is changed. This is who we are, where we can challenge one another. So we want to talk to you more about that. You need to be part of a life group because you owe nothing to the flesh. That's our second point. You owe nothing to the flesh. Look at verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors. Not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Paul is almost using a megaphone here to try to get us to understand. He says, you, you are not in the realm of the flesh. You're not debtors to flesh. But we still have this relationship. One of the things I love about Paul, I love this. He, in the South, we'd say he's a straight shooter. Right? He's a straight shooter. He doesn't, he doesn't dance around the issue. He tells you straight like it is. He does. And he says, okay, your bodies, I mean, Paul's a realist. He knows your bodies, they're going to get sick. They do. This happens in this world. Your body's going to get sick. We're, we're going to have diseases. We're going to get old. We're going to have stresses. We're going to have sin temptations. You are not trapped in sin, but you still have sin temptations. That is still there. These are the realities of where we are. And yet, even though that's true, you are no longer a slave to sin. He's driving this point home. He says, there are two results by the way we choose to live. There's life and there's death. That's it. There's, there, there's no little fuzzy middle. Your life is going to lead to a place of life or death. Are you living in the flesh? Are you living in the spirit? Where are you living? It's going to lead to life or it's going to lead to death. And then he says, as a follower of Jesus, the same spirit that set you free from the law of sin and death has now taken up residence inside of you. And this then begins that process of working out your salvation. Let me go slow here because you're not working for your salvation. It's not what we believe as Christians. We don't believe that you work in such a way that maybe God will be happy with you and let you into heaven if you do good enough. 
Nope, that's not what it is. That you work out your salvation because of your new identity. There should be fruit in your life. Because of your new identity, we continue to live as Christ, having the mind of Christ. That's what our lives should reflect. But I think we end up going down one of two other extremes. I do. I think one extreme, what we do is we say, you know what I'm going to do? I've got this area where I'm struggling as a Christian. I'm just going to pull myself up by my bootstraps. That's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to wrinkle, put my stink face on, and I'm just going to try harder. I'm going to be, I don't need the Holy Spirit in this. I'm just going to do better. That's what I'm going to do. Let me real fast say this too. I think that sometimes as I'm talking, people think, you know, sometimes our, our pastor can kind of be funny in the way that he says things, but I just, I'm trying everything I can to get you to hear the text because there's nothing funny about it. It is so heartbreaking to me to see brothers and sisters who end up going down this road and falling into this trap of thinking that you can live a life separated from the Holy Spirit, of thinking that you can live life and doing it on your own. And I see it time and time again. Pastor, just give me the steps. Give me the three steps of what I need to do to fix this. And the whole time, you're not leaning on the Holy Spirit. You're leaning on your own actions. That's one danger zone where we go. I think the second danger zone is the direct opposite. The other one is where we say, driving down the road, Jesus, just take the wheel. Like Holy Spirit activate, right? That's what we do. Just Holy Spirit is going to take it all. I don't need to do anything. I don't need to bring anything to this conversation. I don't need to bring any energy. I don't, nope, the Holy Spirit's just going to do it. I don't need to do a thing. Can I just tell you that's also not scriptural either? There's effort on your part to bring your life into alignment with the Lord's. That's what repentance is about. Repentance means you turn. The Holy Spirit didn't move right? The Holy Spirit's still there. It's our job to bring our lives into alignment of our, our repentance from sin. We have to turn from sin. We do that, right? We can do that though through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That's how we do it. Which brings us to our final point that you have received adoption into God's family. You've received adoption, verse 14, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by who we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Paul says, for all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. See, this is a new identity. Before, our identity was in sin and death. We were marked by sin and death. Now, we are sons of God. We are daughters of God. That's who we are. And that phrase adoption is used. Now, we know what adoption means. Adoption, when you bring an adopted child into your family, that child is now part of the family. There's not like, okay, we have our, our real family and now we have our adopted. That's not how it works, is it? That is not how it works. No, we are family. Like all of us, legally, we now are family. And it's not just legally, it is heart connection-wise. We all are family. That's how adoption works. It was the same in the first century. The difference sometimes was the motivation. You see, if you had a family, you've got the estate, you've got some wealth, and you have no children, particularly an oldest son, to pass on the estate to, they would look and they would see, oh, here's a son over here. 
with no family. We can adopt this son, bring this son in, and now this son is fully recognized as our son and will receive everything accordingly. All the inheritance will go to now this oldest son. But again, it's the same today, isn't it? When you are adopted, your family, you're not like partial family, you're not sub-family, no, you're family. But I think this is where we continually get tripped up. We think that somewhere we're kind of half in, half out. There is no half in, half out. You are in the family, adopted into the family, or, or you're not. And you don't get there on your own actions, your own behavior. You get there only through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit because Christ is in you. It's because of your identity in Jesus. That's how you're part of the family. This language is used, this adoption language in Ephesians chapter 1, where God destined us for adoption. Galatians 4 and Ephesians 1, that God sent a son that we might receive adoption as children. Here in Romans 8, that we're adopted because of the spirit of adoption. And do you see what we're allowed then because of adoption, how we get a new name for God? Did you see that? Abba. Father, this is a big deal. And I don't know if you understand how big of a deal this is. The Aramaic word Abba means dad. It means daddy. How, how do you refer to your dad? Papa, maybe, father, like these words, what, whatever that most intimate word is that you can think of for how you call your dad. And if you're sitting there thinking, well, this is actually kind of a trigger word for me because growing up, I had a horrible relationship with my dad or no relation. I don't even know who my dad is. And Okay, then this word should be that much sweeter to you today. Because this is that place where you get to cry out to him in the most intimate of ways. Hey, dad, I need you. And as part of the family, he's there. Isn't that beautiful? This is the word that Jesus used in Mark chapter 14. I mentioned the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus had finished that last supper with the disciples, he had gone with Peter, James, and John to the garden to pray. The Bible says he prayed at that point so much that he sweat drops of blood. This is hours before he'd be arrested, hours before he'd be tried, which means hours before he would be crucified, and a few days before sin and death would forever be conquered. It was in that place that he prayed, Father, Abba, Dad, if it's possible, will you let this cup pass from me? If there's any other way other than the cross, can we do it some other way? If there's any other way than me taking on the sins of the entire world in those moments, can we go a different direction? But he stayed there until he said, Dad, not as I desire, but as you desire. Not my will, but yours be done. This is the same word that the disciples had watched how Jesus was praying. They went to him and they said, hey, Jesus, I mean, we're these Jewish guys and um, we pray a lot, but we don't think we're doing it right. Can you teach us how to pray? Do you remember that? Can, Jesus, can you teach us how to pray, how you pray? And he said, sure, here's how you pray. Get alone, close your door, pray to your father who's unseen and say this, our father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Our Father, Abba, Dad, Daddy in heaven, holy is your name. Do you know how earth-shattering that would have been? These are Jewish guys. These are guys who wouldn't have even written the name Jehovah. You know that, right? 
They wouldn't have even written the name Jehovah. They wouldn't have even written the name Holy God because that would be way too familiar. To write the name of Almighty God would have been way too personal, way too familiar. And Jesus says, you want to know how to pray? Here's how you do it. You get alone. It's just you and him. You close the door and you say, hey, dad, your name's Holy. Abba. Why? Because we're children of the most high God. That's our identity. It's who we are. And, and yet again, I think we read it and we struggle with it. I, um, I want to show you guys something. This is an illustration. I, I saw this, I mean, it was like 20, 25 years ago when I saw this. There's a, a pastor named Louis Giglio. Most of you guys have probably heard of him. And um, Louis did this thing, if I can keep from breaking anything. Um, Louis did this thing with Tupperware, which I thought went really well. He just, he did this. He said, here's, here's you. And he put you up. Can you guys all see you? You look like this. Here we go. You. We have you. This is you. And you go through life. Now, we know from Scripture that from the time of Adam and Eve until today, that you and I, we have a sin problem, don't we? It started with Adam and Eve, but it hasn't, it hasn't missed anyone. Not one woman, not one man, not one teen. Like all of us have sinned, the Bible says, and have fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us. And so if that's true, well, then we're going to need, we're going to need some sin, right? So we got sin here and I'm going to take sin and we know how this works. I'm a hostage to sin. You see me in there? And some of you, you're feeling like this right now because you're like, I want to get out of there. I want to get out, but no matter what I do, I can't seem to break out. And this is how so many people live their entire lives and they're trapped. And they say, I'm going to try harder. I'm going to do better. I'm going to stop eating the Crocs. All right? And so this is what we do. We stay trapped in sin and keep thinking on our own power. Look at you. You think you're going to bust out of sin on your, you aren't going to bust out of sin on your own, but that's what we try. We try to do it on our own. But see, here's the gospel message that so many in this room and so many online, so many of you have surrendered your life to. God looks at us in this position and we're an ugly sight right there, trapped, hostage in sin. And even right there, the Bible says, God loves us. I mean, he looks at you and he sees all the sin and all the filthiness that you're surrounded by. And he says, yeah, I, I see all of that sin, but I love you. I love you so much. That's why Christmas, that's why Jesus came. That's why he came as that little infant baby to a manger. And the Bible says that he lived a perfect life and sinless life. Why is that important? Because Jesus never experienced being a hostage to sin. Temptation was there, but Jesus never sinned. He was never, ever a hostage to sin. He was different than this. This was not his reality. That was not his reality at all. When Jesus went to the cross, he went as the spotless lamb of God who went to take away the sins of the entire world world to conquer sin once and for all. When he rose on the third day, not only was sin conquered, but then death had also been, been conquered. And so here's what happens is there is that truth that is out there. 
there is the truth that Christ has died for us. The Bible says that if you believe in your heart, if you believe in your heart, that God rescued us through Jesus. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that you're saved, that you're rescued. And so for so many of you, you've experienced something. You're like, okay, I'm surrendering my life to Christ as Lord and Savior. This is what I'm banking on. And so here we have Christ. And we just read this, right? We just read how Christ, the very beginning of the section today, I'm trying not to break it as I do it. How Christ is in us, right? We just read that. We just read that Christ is in us. The Spirit of Christ is in us. The Holy Spirit indwells us. Do you see this? And so what we think we're going to do now is we think we're going to take Christ in us and we're going, oh, you guys just missed the gospel though, didn't you? Because I just said Christ is not in sin. Christ is never, so, so we actually can't do that, can we? We, we can't put Christ in sin. That doesn't work because Christ is in us and he doesn't dwell in sin. That's, that's not the gospel. Here's what the gospel says. The gospel says that we have been adopted, right? Isn't that what it said? The, the Bible said that we have been adopted, that we are now heirs, sons and daughters of the most high. And so according to the word of God, this is what happens. Christ is in us. And we are in God. And then here is sin over here. How do we think we're supposed to, we're going to have to bust Christ out of us, bust out of God and jump into sin. That's how that process is going to have to work. If you're wanting to live in both places and the reality is, and this is why Paul is using a megaphone to scream this to us. Your identity is changed. You are different. You are not the same. You are not a hostage to sin and death anymore. The Holy Spirit of God indwells you and you are now sons and daughters. We are heirs. We are heirs and we are in God. This, friends, this, this is who we are. This is who we are. And maybe your life has taken a turn recently and the reality for you is you started to live in a way that says, no, I'm going to drift away and I'm going to start to live like I'm having my flesh moments. Now, those are called rebellious moments. It's not your identity. It's not who you are. It's just being rebellious. It's being sinful. So why not take the gift of grace called today? Today is such a gift of grace. You didn't do anything to earn today, to earn life today. You didn't earn that. I didn't earn that. This is grace. This is God's grace on us to give us another chance so this is a chance for us to turn from sin and turn back towards the Lord. Because he doesn't change, friends. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We bring our lives into alignment with him. That's why we open the word and read it. We should be opening the word and reading it and saying, how do I need to continue to bring my life into alignment with what his word teaches? The supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. If you've never surrendered your life to Jesus... I hope that little picture today helped unlock something in your heart. I really do to where you've been looking, trying to do it in your own strength. And that you saw just from that picture of sin, you're not, you're not going to do it in your own strength. That's why you need Jesus. The perfect, spotless Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the love that you have for us. 
Lord, for the truth that we continue to read week after week. I truly think that Romans 8 is one of the most powerful sections in in all of Scripture. Lord, I thank you that we don't ever have to get tired ever of reading the truth. I do pray for my brothers or sisters that maybe they've stopped living the identity that you've called us to and they've started to live in this habit of sin. Lord, I pray for that to be cut off today, right here, right now, for that place of repentance. Because the reality is our sin is way more disgusting than eating a pair of Crocs. Lord, the stuff that we fill our eyes with, our ears with, our hearts with, the places we fix our adoration, so broken, so disgusting. So Lord, I pray that you forgive us. I just pray as a church body that we continue together to keep our gaze, our focus, our adoration on Christ alone. That we don't seek a rescuer, a savior anywhere else other than you. That Lord, we don't get wrapped up in the things of the world. But we keep our minds and our thoughts on the things above. And Lord, for those in the room that maybe they've never surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus, I pray that today is the day that they surrender. That maybe through the Tupperware, they were able to understand truth for the first time and understand that it's not our actions, it's not our efforts that are going to give us a right standing with you. It is our faith in Jesus as our Lord. And in that moment, you come and you take up residence in us. And we are in you. We have been adopted into the family. So Lord, maybe we have people right here or online who in their heart, they're throwing up their hands and they're just saying, I surrender. Lord, I'm surrendering everything to you. Forgive me for the sins that I've committed. Forgive me for those places where I've continued to worship other things, myself included. I'm turning to Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. I'm placing my faith and my trust in that truth. That's my hope. My hope is in Christ alone. Lord, we thank you for these holy moments that are set apart. They're different. We pray that you continue to take this gospel message and impact our family, impact our friends. Lord, continue to use us as your ambassadors in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. In just a few moments after we finish our last song, I do want you to know the prayer team, as always, will be right up here uh, to speak with you, to, to pray with you. We'd love for you to come and be part of that. But church, let's not take these moments for granted. There's one last song for us to sing, but we're singing as the adopted. We're singing as sons and daughters of the Most High. We are singing as people who are indwelled with the Holy Spirit. Let's stand and close our morning together. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.